Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, the title of the message this morning is The Faith Factory, and I could not be more excited to share this message with you guys. Um, just really inspired by what, what uh, Gary had to share with us this morning about our ministries and his family and our giving and our priority, prioritizing. And uh, so this message about the faith factory, I just feel like, like God's got some good things for us here today. And uh, even before I read our, our uh, main portion of scripture, you guys can go ahead and turn there if you want to. It's going to be Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, thinking about this idea of the factory and this idea of the faith factory. And I was, I was laughing as I was preparing to come up here this morning, uh, sitting and listening to Gary. And as we prayed, because uh, I thought about all the things we're doing to, to have church right now. Uh, you know, I, I get up here and everything looks good and it looks clean. My clothes, I got ironed or from the cleaners and, and Gary's up here and he's prepared and, and everything looks good. But, but this factory is crazy right now. We're running all over the place. The, the media team, which is our wives right now, are telling us, hey, you might not be live today and something might not pop up. And, and I was thinking about how good God is. And what a reminder that is for this message that as we talk about the faith factory, uh, let's get the idea out of our minds that it's going to be pretty, that it's going to be neat. And even if it does look good and pretty and neat sometimes, uh, the reality is, is that deep in that factory and behind the scenes, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a mess that's being made as well. So uh, hopefully that encourage you, encourages you as we get into this today. So the faith factory, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm going to read down to verse 11, says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things, say all things, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's going to be our main scripture for, for the day. You guys can go ahead and stay there for a while. Uh, but I got the idea from the Lord for this, this uh, message about uh, the faith factory, because I've been talking to a lot of leaders lately uh, in our church, outside of our church, and, and it just keeps uh, coming to the, to the forefront of my mind, this idea of... Um, even as you do a particular ministry uh, or as you lead uh, your particular family, as you do your particular job, that oftentimes we can focus on one area that we think is the most important, 
right? Or that we think has the most value or we think, hey, this is the this is the face of this ministry or this is the face of our family. And we want to present something out there and we pour all of our attention to making sure that that part looks good, making sure that that part is presentable. But uh, I've been talking to these leaders about the fact that when it comes to the these things that we're called to in our family, these things that we're called to uh, in the ministry, uh, in our faith, in our workplaces, that every area uh, within that is vital and it's important. You can focus on one area in particularly, and it can look good for a while, but at some point, if the factory isn't focused on all of the areas, even that one area that you have been focused on is going to not look so good after a while, not function so well after a while, not have the same uh, value that it did at one point after a while. So again, I, I think hopefully we can receive that and, and, and apply this as we, as we go through this sermon today uh, to ourselves. Think about these areas of our lives and how important every particular component or portion of that is. So I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for another opportunity for us to be in your house, but also to be in your presence in our homes, in our other houses, in this family that's being extended, Lord God. We thank you that you have reached, Lord God, that you can meet with us in church buildings. You can meet with us in storefronts, Lord God. You can meet with us in our homes. You can meet with us in our cars, and you are willing and able to do that, Lord. Wherever we find ourselves today, Lord, you can use a message, Lord that's live and, and being presented right now, Lord, and you can use a message that it can be replayed, Lord, and shared with others at different times, Lord. Your word is alive and it's powerful. You are alive. The scriptures tell us you sit at the right hand of the Father, Lord, that you're making intercession on our, our behalf right now. You are not a dead God and you are not the God of the dead. You are alive and you're the God of the living, Lord. So would you be with us right here, right now, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, let us lay our burdens to the side, whatever might be taking our attention or our focus off of you, Lord. We heard this morning, Lord, that you deserve the first and you deserve the best, Lord. And that's what we want to give you in this moment, Lord. All of our attention, all of our focus, Lord, you and I. We all know, Lord, that we come with burdens. We come with difficulties, Lord God. We even come with things that we want to rejoice about. But we lay all that to the side and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, Lord. Now is the time to hear you. I pray that you would speak to me and through me, Lord God, that you would speak to each and every one of those who are hearing you this morning, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So the Faith Factory, this is not a message about the 10 ways to faith, right? You're not going to listen to this and say, all right, now I've got it. These are the 10 things I got to do to get faith. It's also not a message to tell you uh, factory style. How do we produce faith in people with high efficiency, right? Like we are truly a factory. We can make you faithful if you just do what we tell you to do, when we tell you to do it, how we tell you to do it. You're going to be faithful and then your son's going to be faithful and your daughter's going to be faithful. Your family's going to be faithful. It's not that kind of message either. What this is about really is about how faith is actually produced in our lives how faith is actually produced or how it grows in our lives. My hope is that each of us will consider how your faith factory is actually running. Like I said before, maybe consider what areas are getting attention and what areas are not getting attention. Maybe consider what's actually being produced in your life, faithfulness or unfaithfulness, right? So I don't know why, <laughs> But the picture that keeps popping into my mind as I've been going through this and talking about this is about jelly. I think we have a picture we'll, we'll put up for you guys about uh, 
uh, a jar of jelly. And this picture that I want to paint for us is about individual factories that are designed to produce faith, just like a jelly factory is designed to produce jelly. Everything that's going on in there, right, is so that at the end you have this jar of jelly that comes out, right? So a, a factory is a system, um, or better yet, it's a multitude of moving parts that are interdependent, which means they depend on each other. Every part of this jelly making or this faith making, it needs the part before it and it can't go any further without the part after it. They're interdependent. They're connected when it comes to these factories, right? They each rely on one another in order to be successful, right? So let's start with a little bit about the factory designer and the factory owner when it comes to faith, right? So that picture that we had up a minute ago of, of, of jelly, right? We know what we want. We know that there's going to be a lot of parts and pieces that have to come together to, to get that jar of jelly. But before we even get there, we need to say, well, whose factory is this? And who, who said that it's going to be a jelly factory? And what have they put into this factory in order to make it possible even to be successful, right? So let's do the same thing with our faith factory for you and I. So number one, this factory was designed with precision and perfection. If you're taking notes, number one, this factory was designed with precision and perfection. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Speaking of God, it, God, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. It says that the designer and the owner of our factory, that he foreknew us and that he predestined us, that we could be conformed to the image of the Son, that he would be the first and the preeminent, but this factory would be pumping out continuous versions of that Son, right? He knew us, he predestined us, and he created this environment, right? where we could become faithful, and he did it with precision and perfection. So Jesus, we know, is the faithful one, right? When we say that he's the firstborn, he is the faithful one, and we want to become faithful, right? So the factory is designed based on him as the prototype. <laughs> That's what we're trying to create. That's what God is trying to create in us. And when he makes this factory and he, and he gives us all of the tools and all of the parts all the machinery, everything that's needed, it's with precision and perfection. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, 2 Timothy 2, 13, God says, or, or um, Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. One of my favorite scriptures, right? It's talking, it goes back and forth. If you get a chance to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's talking about if we do this, then he does that, right? If we do this, then he'll do that. And it goes through a, a series of those. But when it gets to the end here, it says, and if we are faithless and you're expecting it to be like the rest of these, these comparisons, well, then he's going to be faithless. But he doesn't. It says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He can't be faithless. He's always faithful. He's the prototype. He's what every factory is designed after. He doesn't know how to be unfaithful. He is the faithful one. He is the first of many who will become faithful. 
So good, right? So what does God say about you? What does God say about me? He says that he knows the number of hairs on our heads. That level of detail when it comes to this factory, when it comes to what he's trying to produce, when it comes to his intimate knowledge of us. It says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. When we were formed in our mother's wombs, right? When the first of us were created and shaped out of the, out of the dust and life was breathed into us, there's an intimate knowledge of who we are and how we are, how we were created, how we were so when it comes to how is God going to build faith within us, he knows exactly how to do it. He creates this factory, this process, this system, all these moving parts, right, with perfection and with precision because he knows us. And he also knows the son. He knows what he wants to produce in us. Right. So good. So number one, this factory was designed with precision and perfection. Number two. The designer and the owner factory. Number two, the designer and the owner, he made this a faith factory. What that means is that we cannot repurpose the factory. He knows us. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants to accomplish. He made it with precision and perfection. He says, this is going to be a faith factory. It's not going to be some other kind of factory. You are not allowed to repurpose the factory. You can't come in. And this is what we love to do. We love to repurpose things right when we when we got this church building uh it was just a warehouse and people operated businesses out of here and we came walking in and we said man that could be a church we'll turn this this way we'll build a stage we'll put some lights up we'll do this we'll do that we'll repurpose this place right and instead of being a storefront and instead of being a warehouse it's going to become a church we repurposed it right a lot of times, this is the issue that we have when it comes to what God wants to do in our lives. God says, you are going to be a faith factory, and I am going to build faith in you. And what we say is, no, we want to repurpose it. Build strength in me. Build confidence in me. Build, build a, a strong marriage for me. And God says, listen, some of those things might happen, but I'm in the, the faith factory business, and that's what I designed here. Do not repurpose it. I made it a faith factory and I did it on purpose. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Once again, my favorite scripture. <laughs> now, everybody say now. I can hear you from your homes right now. Now, right now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that you cannot see, right? So we know as we read through Hebrews that it's all about Jesus and the preeminence of Jesus. So we know that this scripture is talking about Jesus and this idea that, that he is the substance of what we hope for. He's the evidence of what we can't see. We understand all that, right? But a factory, it produces a product, right? But if you think about it, a lot of the building, a lot of the effort, a lot of the hope and the time and the waiting is involved before the factory ever produces uh, its first complete item or its first complete product, right? Think about that. You don't start a factory or build a factory and then there's the, there's the jar of jelly. What happens is you see land. 
Then you put up a building and then the equipment comes in, right? And then you start to calibrate and there's all these different things that you have to do. And think about it. You have uh, hope that at some point there's going to be a substance. There's going to be something. There's going to be a jar and it's going to be full, full of jelly, full of faith. You have you have this idea that, man, is there any evidence for what we can't see right now? We don't see it. It doesn't appear to actually exist. But is there any evidence for what we can't see? That at the end of this building process, at the end of the labor, at the end of the waiting, are we going to actually have something? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of what we can't see. Jesus is all those things. But for you and I, when it comes to our faith factories, right? There's going to be some waiting. There's going to be some building. There's going to be some effort before we actually see the product of faith alive in our lives, right? We're being made to be faithful men. We're being made to be faithful women. God's transforming us into the image of Christ, right? But man, there's a lot of building and effort and hope and time and waiting that's involved in that, right? So there's hope for the substance or the product or the finished item coming off of the factory line into the world in order to be used, right? But it's this process that has to take place, right? Is there any evidence that it's actually going to happen? Will we actually become what we were intended to become, even though it's unseen? All right. So number one, we understand that the factory was designed with precision and perfection. Number two, we know that the designer and the owner made it a faith factory. He's not trying to make something else. We can't repurpose this space and his intention. And number three this morning, the designer and the owner does not so random, depending on how, how, uh, what their volume is, maybe it's one out of every 10,000, right? But it's supposed to be random. People will come in and they say, hey, we showed up today. You didn't know that we were coming. You can't have that special one that's off to the side and say, hey, test this, right? No, we're going to show up when you don't expect it like a thief in the night. And we're going to say, give us one of those and let us test it, right? So a lot of times in our lives, if we were going to be tested, like, like Gary mentioned earlier, we, we have a men's Bible study and it's a Zoom meeting and it's Tuesday at seven o'clock. It's easy for us to show up strong and say, oh, yeah, I've been reading. Why? Because I read Monday and now today's Tuesday. I read two days in a row. So I've been reading. <laughs> no, that's not the kind of testing we're talking about. Right. You're not prepared for it. It just happens. The reason I say number three today is that our designer and our owner does not so random product testing is because every single one of us is going to be tested. Not one out of a thousand, not one out of 10,000, right? It's going to be all of us. We're going to have to be tested, right? <clears throat> this is James chapter one. I'm going to read uh, verses two through six. James chapter one, verses two through six. He says, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. So good, right? So good. So our faith is tested and we have to patiently wait 
and work within the factory, right, to see exactly what's missing or out of alignment or miscalibrated. That's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, you're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. You need to get excited about that, right? And then you need to patiently wait, right, so that that perfecting can happen. So if you think about your factory, and a test is going to be done on your faith, or a test is going to be done on that jelly, or a test is going to be done on those tires, right? They're going to take it off of the assembly line, and they're going to test it, and they're going to say something's wrong, something's missing, something's misaligned, something's not quite calibrated properly. And James says we should get excited about that. We should say, thank God that it's been brought to my attention that something's not right, and now I'm going to patiently wait, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to figure out what do we have to fix? What do we have to change? What do we have to add? What do we have to take away so that this thing would actually be perfected? He says this is a joyous process. We all know in our lives, these trials and this testing doesn't feel joyous, but maybe if we would focus our eyes ahead and say, well, what am I actually trying to produce here? What is it that God's actually doing in my life? Maybe there would be some joy in the test. No matter who you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how faithful we think that we have become, when this testing happens, we're always going to run up against some things that are beyond our knowledge, that are beyond our ability to figure out what's wrong. We say, let me just take a step back and figure out what's miscalibrated, what's wrong. And you go through everything that you know and you say, I still don't get it. You might reach out to friends and family and say, have you been through this? What's going on in your factory? Can you help me here? And they say, no, I don't get it. And what does James say? If you lack wisdom in that area, when you realize that the test and you're failing the test, he says, go to your father. And ask him for wisdom, and he gives it liberally and without reproach. When you tell him, listen, I've done everything I can do, and this part is still broken. Can you help me, Lord? He says, yes, I can. Let me tell you how to fix that. Let me tell you how to recalibrate that. Matter of fact, I've been waiting for you to come. You could not do that with everything that you have right now. You had no chance. You had to come to me. And now that you have, let me bless you with some wisdom. Let me bless you with some directions. Matter of fact, you were missing two or three pages of your, of your manual. Let me give those to you now so that you can finish this factory. Right? But what does God say here? He says that we need to ask in faith and without doubting. We have to ask for that wisdom in faith and without doubting. Asking in faith is about staying in the factory and staying committed to that product, which is faith. If you're going to ask in faith, remember, I'm in, the, I'm in the faith factory. He made it with precision and perfection. He made it a faith factory, right? And here I am in that factory having some problems. I can't get out of the factory and say, I'm done with that. God, can you help me? No, I have to stay in the factory and say, Lord, I am committed to this faith. I am committed to this product. I'm committed to getting this right. Can you help me? He says, well, since you asked in faith and you're still in the factory and you're still committed to the product, yes, I can help you. And here it is. If we get out of the faith business, and we expect God to give us wisdom to build some other kind of factory, don't expect much. Right? He made it a faith factory. 
He wants to finish what he started in us. One of the issues that many of us have is we don't, maybe we don't realize it, but we are outside of the faith factory and we're asking God for wisdom. We're asking God for blessing. We're asking God for resources. We're asking God for direction. And we're like, well, how come he's not answering my prayers? How come he's not giving me what I asked for? How come other people seem to be getting their prayers answered, but I'm not getting my prayers answered? Well, maybe you're not in faith. Maybe you're outside of the factory saying, God, I want to build something else. And he says, I don't build anything else. I build faithful men and women after the prototype, my son, Jesus. He's the first. He's the faithful one. I'm conforming you to that image. I can't give you resources. I can't give you parts. I can't bless you with things that are going to build something else. We have to ask in faith, and then he gives liberally, right? Then it says, we have to ask without doubting. So not only do I have to be inside the factory, committed to the faith, and I have to ask him for wisdom that is associated with and in line with faith building and faith production, I also have to ask him without doubting. I can't say, here I am, Lord. I'm in the factory. I'm in the faith. Give me wisdom. And then I'm like, yeah, babe, but I don't think he's going to answer. I don't think he's going to give us. We've been asking before. I don't think he hears me. I don't think he cares. You can be where you're supposed to be, working on what you're supposed to be working on, asking God for what he already wants to give you. But if you have doubt, he says, don't expect much. Wow. Asking without doubting is about believing that God wants to help us, that he wants us to be victorious, and that he wants us to be faithful and strong in the faith. It's not asking somebody for something they don't want to give you, right? My kids are constantly coming to me and asking for candy and can we play on the tablet and can we do this? And for me, I don't think a lot of that is great. So I'm like, I don't want to give that to you. And they know that sometimes when they come to me that they're asking for something that I don't want to give them. And I think about that with our relationship with the Lord. How many of us, when we come to God, do we have that feeling of like, he doesn't really want to give this to us? God is not like an earthly father. God is not like uh, an earthly friend. He's so much greater, so much higher. He wants us to have these things, and he can't wait to pour them into our lives. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, this is our main scripture today, but verse 3 says, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. It's already there. He's already given it to us. He's packaged it and prepared it and said, this is for you. Anything you want that pertains to life and that pertains to godliness, that pertains to faith, I've got it ready for you. And here it is. He's not withholding. He's not, he, do, he doesn't not want to give it to us. He's saying, it's here. Just come get it. Come back into the factory. It's here. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Paul says that he, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul says, listen, this is the God that you have and the God that I have. 
if he sacrificed his own son who is holy and righteous and they were together for all of eternity past and they want to be together for all of eternity future, if he's willing to let him die for you, how would he not give you help and hope and faith and strength and life and godliness? They don't line up. If he wasn't going to do all these things, then why did he give his son? Listen, church, he is on our side. He wants us to receive, and he wants us to have everything that we need to become faithful for the factory to work. He gives it to us freely, and he's not withholding, right? So when it feels that way, when it feels like he's not those things and we're not receiving what we need, could it be, could it be that chances are we're asking for resources for a repurposed factory? Could it be that we're asking for resources for a repurposed factory and he says, not only would I not give you those parts, but I don't even have those parts. I don't know how to make the things that you want to make. <laughs> See, that's the thing about the enemy. The enemy is great at giving us parts for repurposed factories. Right? God says, I'm building a faith factory. Everything I do is going to be related to faith and bless you in faith and strengthen your faith. And when we say, I want to come out of that factory and I want to build this, right? The enemy is like, oh, you want to build something other than faith? What do you need? Here it is. Oh, God's not listening to you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you, but I do. What do you need? Here it is. We've got to be so careful so careful to realize who we are called to be, what we were created for, and where to get the resources to bring that process to completion. And then we'll understand when we're outside of that, and we'll understand where some of what we consider blessings are coming from, but they're actually curses, taking us further away from faith. All right. So let's look at your faith factory. Say my faith factory. I believe you said it. Amen. <laughs> so if you're taking notes, write down your name and then after that, put Faith Factory. Okay? So mine, mine would be Vaughn's Faith Factory. So you fill in your name and it's your Faith Factory, right? The idea here is that your name is on it. You can't live by somebody else's faith and nobody else can live on your faith, right? You can come visit the Vaughn Faith Factory if you want to. But that ain't going to do nothing for you when you leave. <laughs> You've got to have your own faith factory. And this is another message for another time. But a lot of times that's what people do when they come to church. And maybe this is something God is working on through this coronavirus fire like we were talking about for a few weeks. That, hey, you thought by going there that you were getting faith? No, 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 no. That's not your faith factory. You have to be working on your faith factory seven days a week. It's like a convention when you come on Sunday. All the Faith Factory people come in and they say, what's going on with your factory? What's going on with your factory? Let me show you something that got added into my factory and how much it's been helpful to me. So your Faith Factory and my Faith Factory. This is going to be the last point and we're going to stay here for a while. We're going to talk about the assembly line. The assembly line. Okay. So like I said before, I don't know why, but I keep having this vision of jelly and jam and this factory, so I'm going to just go with it. 
right? So on this jelly and jam uh, assembly line within this factory, right? The first thing you have is a, maybe a machine that grabs the glass and then it turns it and it drops it down on the, on the conveyor line, right? And then that conveyor line begins to, to start moving. So then that conveyor takes that glass and it shows up at a station where it's the sticker machine. Right, so that the glass stops there at that station, and then the sticker machine pulls an arm over, slaps a sticker on, and then it spins the glass and it smooths that sticker around the whole glass. Right. So then, after that label is on there and that sticker's on the glass, it keeps moving down the conveyor and it comes around to the other side and it gets to this spot, right, where the empty glass is going to be filled with jelly and jam and all kinds of wonderful goodness. But when it gets there, it has to line up perfectly below this jelly dispensing spout, right? It gets there on the conveyor and there's the glass. It's got the nice label on there and, and it can't be off to the right or to the left and it's gotta be right below the spout and then bam, the, the, the jelly comes shooting in and it fills up this, this glass jar, right? And then once it's filled, the conveyor takes it to what might be the last station and, uh, and there's the tops and the top is put on and the machine brings it down and then the machine twists it and it doesn't twist it too loose and it doesn't twist it too tight. It's just the right amount of force to keep that thing tight and sealed and fresh and edible, right? So now we've got this picture of, of an assembly line. And now think about again, your faith factory, the Vaughn faith factory, the you faith factory, right? And you've got within that factory your assembly line and these stations that you've got to go to and these things that need to happen as God is building faith in you, right? So let's see what we need um, to add in our faith factory, right? So back to our main scripture of 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 7 again for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. So it starts off with, but also for this very reason, right? So let's, let's consider that what God has been talking to us about is the faith factory and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and what he wants to build in us and how he doesn't repurpose or do anything else. He says, because of this, for this very reason, in verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Can you see those stations along the conveyor now? These things that we need to add, right? So if you look back at this jelly assembly line, it's important to put the label on before filling the jar with jelly, right? It's important to get that glass on the conveyor and then, all right, now that the glass is there, let's go get this label on here. Then it's important once, you, once you've got that label on there, that the process is now let's get it filled up Make sure that we don't have any issues. We want to make sure the right label goes onto the right kind of jelly. And then it's important to have this order. The last thing is to put the top on it. It might seem like it doesn't matter what order we do these things in, right? In our lives and in our faith. But imagine in your faith, if you put the top on before you put the jelly in. Look at the mess. You had all the pieces, but you had them out of order. So as we look at these things that the Lord tells us to add to our faith, and what order we need to add them in, let's remember that our product is faith, all right? 
It's not separate products. So you could read this scripture and, and you could think to yourself, okay, add to my faith. I need faith and virtue. But no, what God is saying is the actual product is faith. And if you're going to make faith, you need to add the ingredient of virtue into it. It's like if you're going to make jam, right? It's a jam or jelly factory. You need strawberries. You put the strawberries in. Now add to that some sugar. And now add to that, I don't know, jam stuff. <laughs> whatever else is supposed to make jam, you add that. And at the end, you have your jelly, you have your jam, whatever it is. It's the same thing that I believe God is saying here with our factory. When he says add to your faith, it's not separate things. He's saying this is actually what makes up faith. This is what it means to be faithful. Add these things in this particular order. Maybe we'll see. Right. So our faith needs, according to Second Peter chapter one, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Right. So isn't it interesting that God uses his number of completion, which is seven. And that's how many ingredients he gives us for our faith. If you want to complete faith, ask yourself, how is your factory doing in all of these areas? Like I said before, some of us, we like the face of our factory to look good. We like the face of our lives and the face of our families and the face of our church to look good, but it's just one area. And again, it can look great. It can taste good, right? That jelly and jam that's coming off in the beginning, it looks good, it tastes good. But imagine that factory, if they, if they run out of sugar or they don't focus on sugar and somebody buys that product off the shelf and they go to taste it and they're like, man, this looked good, but it's nasty. How about your faith? Is the sugar missing? Are the strawberries missing? Seven, completion, complete faith as God intended it to be, right? So he says that the Vaughn factory... He's going to open up my mind. He's going to open up my heart and he's going to add these seven things into my life. Right. And he's going to make me faithful by doing so. All right. So first, let's realize this of the seven ingredients at your faith factory that are going to produce this faith. The first five are all about you. We don't even see another person <laughs> to work out this faith until station six and station seven. The priority is you, the Vaughn factory, the Vaughn faith factory, the you faith factory. It's not about your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends or your family or your coworkers. Many of us are realizing that right now, that while we've been isolated and social distancing, right? While we've been separated from all these things that we thought were part of that faith, that we thought were part of the problem, that we thought was the source of all of our difficulties in life, we're realizing that that's not true. It's actually something that's going on inside of us. Many of us would, would go to work and say, my life is terrible and I'm always angry because of that boss. You haven't seen your boss in three months and you're still angry. It ain't the boss. <laughs> it's me. It's you. So the first five of the seven are about me. The first five of the seven are about you and nobody else. No other people even come into the picture yet, right? So let's get started. Number one is virtue. Virtue is a gift from God that can only be obtained from God, right? Virtue. It's about morality and purity and innocence and an actual value that we can have, right? It's originally given to, to, to man from God. He gave us virtue when he shaped us and formed us, right? We had morality. We had innocence. 
We had a value and a worth that superseded every other part of creation. And it came to us, it was given to us from God. So when God says the first thing we need to add is some virtue, it needs to be restored to us. Our morality, our innocence, our value, right? We need to get these things back. I remember when, uh, I guess the way you pronounce this is acai. We're all saying acai berries, but I guess it's acai berries and acai bowls and acai juice first came on the scene. I remember going into one of these juice spots and they're saying, and they're trying to convince me. They said, these berries have healing properties and they have nutrients and vitamins more than any other berry. And they're only found in the jungles of Brazil in a remote place. And maybe they might be found in the Swiss Alps on the top of a mountain frozen and needed to be infused with heat to give this to you. Now we got acai everywhere all over the place. Turns out that it wasn't only in those places, right? Whether or not it has those other properties or not. However, virtue is actually like that. It only comes from God. There's only one source. You can't get it from somewhere else. You can't get a virtue substitute that looks the same and tastes the same. Virtue comes from God. If you want morality, true morality, if you want purity, if you want innocence, if you want value in your life and you want it restored to you, you have to go to God. So God says, okay, look, in your faith factory, number one, you got to come to me. If you don't have this, shut down the factory because whatever comes out the other end is not going to be faith. It's going to be something else, right? It'll never produce. A faith factory without virtue will never produce faith, right? But remember, verse 3 said that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He says, you need virtue, and I've got it for you. Here it is, right? So good. So virtue, it has to come from God, right? Gives us these things that, that we lost <laughs> through sin. It restores them back to us, right? So after we have this virtue poured into us, we leave from that station, right? And we go on to the next station and we've got some virtue. We've got that virtue label on us, right? Vaughn is virtuous. <laughs> you are virtuous. And we've got that label slapped on and we go on to the next station. And the scripture tells us that it's the knowledge station, right? This is the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit. Say fruit. Fruit. That brings forth its fruit in its season. So we get to this knowledge station, right? And God says, listen, no more worldly wisdom, no more counsel from the ungodly. Now that you're in the faith factory, now that I've put some virtue back into your life, through my son, I've given you innocence and purity and morality. I've given you value. You wasted all of your value. You sold it like it was worth nothing. I gave you gold when you were born and you traded it for trash. 
He says, now that you're in the faith factor and I've given that back to you, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to deal with some knowledge. No more worldly wisdom. No more counsel from the ungodly. Get that stuff out of your head, out of your heart. He says, you need to be retaught by the word of God and you need to meditate on it day and night. And what does he say the results are going to be there in Psalm chapter 1? He says, then you will be fruitful. Now you're making some jelly. <laughs> now you're making some jam. You're going to be fruitful. You have the ingredients you need to be fruitful and to be faithful. This is John chapter 17. Jesus says that this is what eternal life is. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What's eternal life? How do you get eternal life? Oh, you got to say this prayer. Oh, you got you to confess these things. Oh, you got to go to this kind of church. Oh, you've got to make up for all these things that you've done. No, eternal life is found in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus. So isn't it interesting if we're going to make faithful men and women, God says, first, I've got to make you a real man. I've got to make you a real woman. I've got to give you your value back. I've got to give you your purity and your innocence back. And then as soon as I do that, I'm sending you somewhere where you can get knowledge so you can actually know me. You're not a man or woman of faith, right? We said that Jesus is the faithful one. He can't deny himself because he is faith. He's the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of what we can't see. So if we don't know him, how can we say we're faithful? How is that what's being produced in our life? And God says, how do you know me? Get into my word, delight in it, meditate on it day and night. We got to know who he actually is. It's so good. And I'm so grateful that God himself sets these priorities. Start with something that only I can give you. And then the very next thing you go to is you have to have a heart to pursue me in my word. So we get the virtue from God. We get into the word of God that we might know him and know who he actually is. And then we go over to the next station and it's called the self-control station. The self-control station and the knowledge of God station are probably the two stations that are, are closest together. If you picture a factory and all the things that have to happen, right? So, so maybe that, that picking up of the glass happens here and it might go 30 feet or 50 feet down there and then that's where the label gets put on. Then it might go halfway across the facility and that's where the jelly gets filled in, right? So in our faith factory, right, this virtue that's added, it might take maybe 20, 30 feet and you get down to the next station, station and that's the knowledge station. But that knowledge station, from knowledge to self-control is about a foot. <laughs> you don't get to go far from the knowledge to the self-control. And let's see why. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. We're on that knowledge trip, right? You shall meditate on it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. 
See, knowledge and self-control go hand in hand. We're not just reading it so that we can know who God is and see this picture of him. It's so that we can know who God is, see this picture of him, and then listen to what he actually wants us to do, and then we need to do what is written in it. Those stations are side by side. Get the knowledge in the book and then exercise self-control to live according to it. Question, could it be that those of us who are struggling, and all all of us have struggles and all of us go through seasons of struggle, but I'm talking about an extended struggle to live according to the word, could it be that we're trying to live that way without actually reading the word? (laughs) Right? We want to be faithful. We want to exercise self-control. We want to live according to the word of God and we want to not be making decisions that are sinful and and behaving in a particular way, but we're not actually reading the word of God. God says, get the virtue, get the knowledge, and then exercise self-control. If we're not reading the actual scriptures and getting the knowledge, it's no wonder why we're struggling to exercise self-control. And don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to read the book in order to understand that lying is a sin and stop lying. What I'm telling you is that the creator who made it with precision and perfection, he says, read first, then do. There's something about his process that if we do it the way he tells us to do it, it'll result in what he tells us it will result in. And we can testify for ourselves that when we do that out of order, it's not producing what we want it to produce. We don't have any self-control and we will do anything but read. This is James chapter four, verse 17. James says, therefore, say therefore, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Him who knows to do good because he got the knowledge and he read the scriptures and then does not do it because he will not exercise or she will not exercise self-control to them that is sin. The Bible does a wonderful job of telling us certain things. And it says that we didn't really know or understand sin until God gave us the law. Right. We had a feeling that something maybe wasn't quite right, but we didn't really know. We didn't really understand the depth of it. We didn't understand that these decisions we were making would actually cost the life of God, and that's how significant they were, right? Once we got the law, we became aware of our sin, but sin also became much more aggressive in its attempt to kill us, right? So you know me, I love movies. So picture it's, it's an assassin movie. And this assassin is tracking this man, or he's tracking this woman, and his job is to kill him. And he's hiding in the shadows and he's in the hotel room uh, across the hallway and nobody knows that he's there, right? And if he can kill people without them knowing that he's there, he takes his time and he's patient. He comes up with these elaborate schemes, right? To make it look like an accident. But in all these movies, once the person knows that their life is in danger, once the person knows that somebody is trying to kill them, they start changing their routine. They start doing things differently, right? And what happens to the assassin? The assassin gets bold. He's like, I don't have to hide anymore. I'm going to chase you down the street. I'm going to show up at your job if I know that you're going to be there. I'm going to kill you in any way that I can because the secret's out. 
That's the story that the scripture says that, listen, when we didn't really know that we were sinning and we didn't know the gravity of it, right? We were able to live. But once we knew the, the enemy and that power and that strength of sin, actually, it got stronger. Now that I know it's wrong, I kind of want to do it more. Don't believe me? Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 says, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by that commandment, it produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was kind of dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Stop there for a second at verse 9. Paul saying, listen. I, I felt alive and, and I, was, I was able to do things. But as soon as I started reading the law and I started realizing covetousness is wrong. Lust and adultery is wrong. Right? Denying God as my creator is wrong. He says sin actually revived in me and it got strong. And I wanted to do those things even more than I wanted to do them before. Verse 10. The commandment which was supposed to bring life, I actually found that it brought death. Why do you think when we, uh, when we try to evangelize to people who are not saved, the same way that people tried to evangelize to us when we were not saved, right? We combated that and we fought against that and we said, I don't want to hear it and take your Bible somewhere else and I don't need God, you need a crutch. Why do you think they respond that way? Why do you think we responded that way? It's because the commandment which was supposed to bring life, we found to bring death. It hurt and it was painful and we were seeing in a mirror and we realized the truth and we didn't want anything to do with it verse 11 it says for sin sins talked about like a person like the devil sin itself verse 11 taking occasion by the commandment it deceived me and by it it killed me therefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and it's just and good has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So that we could see how sinful our sins really are. And what it was going to take to make us sinless. What it was going to take to give us our virtue back and to give us our morality back, and to give us our purity back, and to give us our value back. We had to see it for what it really is. That's what Paul's talking about here. That it would become exceedingly sinful. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't even understand. What I want to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I actually do. If then I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Sin that dwells 
in me. So back to our factory, back to our assembly line. We get that virtue, right? We go to that next station, we get that knowledge, and then God says, self-control, right? The word of God begins to live in us as we read it, and we begin to be able to actually fight the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith is about living according to the word and according to the will of God. We have to start controlling our sinful desires. We have to start feeding our spirit and start starving our flesh. Right? This can get ugly. <laughs> this can get violent. This is the area of the faith factory. If you've ever been to a factory, there's some dangerous areas. And they'll paint a, they'll paint a yellow line on the ground and they'll say, caution, do not come past here. Because if you step past there, your arm might get cut off, right? There might be a fire and you might get burned. Stay back. Or maybe there's like this plexiglass like this protecting moving parts so you don't get your hand in there and get it pinched in something. I would say that this area of self-control is the violent and dangerous area within our faith factory where things just begin to go crazy. There's sin in me and it's trying to be dealt with and there's this spirit and this knowledge that's trying to take root in me. I'm acting out and lashing out because I've never been here before and I don't know how to deal with this. It's painful, so at some point I'm like, I don't even want nothing to do with this. Let me out of this factory. I'll just claim to be a Christian but not let any work be done in my life. This is how Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul says self-control is violent. I have to discipline my body. I have to beat it into subjection. I have to make it submit to the word of God and the will of God. It's not going to do it naturally. I have to shape it and form it and fight it and elbow it and kick it and bind it. I have to tell my body, you cannot go out tonight. You cannot talk to that person. You cannot have those channels. You cannot have money in your pocket. I have to violently fight for this to happen. Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not playing games. This is real. And he says, if I don't do this, eventually I'll be disqualified. Eventually somebody's going to come take an inspection of my factory and find out this place is a mess. Virtue, knowledge, next station, self-control. And then we leave that self-control station. We go to the next one and it's called perseverance. Come on, God. <laughs> he has an order and it matters. He says, now you got to persevere. What does that mean? He says, this ain't going to be over in a week. This ain't going to be over in a month. This ain't going to be over in a year. He says, you got to endure. You got to persevere. You got to keep fighting. You got to keep getting knowledge. You got to keep living with that virtue. Don't quit. Don't give up. Stay in it for the long haul. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, this is what Jesus says. Matthew 24, 13. Jesus says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Come on now. Preachers don't want to preach that. Parishioners don't want to hear that. 
Jesus says, you got to make it to the end. If you live this way most of your life and you don't make it to the end, too bad. I told you you got to endure. I told you you have to persevere. I put you in the factory and I made the station called perseverance. You got to get that for your faith. If you don't have that, you don't have faith. You have something, some product that comes off the assembly line, but it ain't faith. We have to endure to the end. We can't give up in that process of fighting and beating and subjection and all those things that we're doing with sin and trying to get the life of God alive and more alive. We've got to endure. This is Matthew chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 3. It says, Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came, and they devoured those seeds. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up. But because they had no depth of earth, or they sprang up because they had no depth of earth, verse 6, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The one I want to focus on is verse 5 and verse 6. It says that, it, that the seed fell and then it sprung up, right? It looked good. It looked like it was going to bear fruit and it was going to be amazing. But it says when the sun came up, it scorched it and it died. What that means is that, hey, it looked like it was growing faith, but it did not endure. It didn't make it through the heat. It didn't make it through the fire of the coronavirus. It was scorched. We have to persevere. We have to endure, right? It doesn't matter what we appeared to be at our best. The reality is that we didn't make it out of the faith factory alive. I know so many people who at different points in their walks, I would look to them and be like, man, they look amazing. I want to be like them. <laughs> but if they don't make it to the end, it's for nothing. They didn't make it out alive. They didn't endure. They didn't persevere. Am I saying there's no repentance and there's no forgiveness and there's no restoration and all that kind of stuff? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, listen, it's a faith factory. We got to stick it out. We got to make it. We got to go through the tough seasons. We got to persevere. This is an important time, important moment to talk about the time factor within our faith factories. Right? We got to consider these first four steps like making wine. Wine has to age. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to speed up that process. I'm not a wine drinker, but I know that the older the year is that they say, apparently the better that wine is, right? That's how it works. It's aged, and you can't speed that up, right? With this process, these first four steps of, of gaining virtue and then gaining knowledge, right? Then gaining some self-control and then gaining some perseverance. It's like wine. It has to age. Who knows what that process and how long that time is going to be, but plan on it being an extended period of time. We can't speed up the faith building process of fighting to live with self-control or enduring the violent process of changing our nature from sinful to righteous. We can't speed that up. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 2, Mark 2, 22. Jesus says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins 
and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. See, Jesus is teaching that our old sinful wineskins, right? They've been stretched, they've been worn out and weathered, and they're perfect for sinfulness. All right? All of life, I remember my life, it was perfect for sin. It was designed for sin. I repurposed the factory with the best of them. And then Jesus says, well, listen, I'm about to give you new wine. I'm going to give you virtue. And if you try to put this virtue into that old sinful wineskin, what's going to happen is it's going to burst it. Your new wine is going to be lost. And there's going to be nothing but more death and more destruction left in the wake. He says, no, but this new virtuous life, this new knowledge-filled life, it needs a new wineskin. That new wineskin can be stretched, right? How does it stretch? It stretches through this process of self-control and enduring. It expands. And all of this is for that new wine that God wants to, to give us of faithfulness. Hmm. So again, after the time is given, the process, we find that something is being produced, right? By the mixing of all these ingredients so far, We've got this new wineskin, and there's, there's this, this stations that we've been to so far, and like this virtue was put in there, and this knowledge was put in there, and then this self-control was put in there, right? This endurance, we've been in here for a while, it's been aging in this new wineskin within this factory, and, and all of a sudden, there's something in there that wasn't there before. What is it? Number five, godliness. Godliness. One day we look up and we realize that we're actually winning the battle against sinful desire. We now have a desire to actually live according to the will of God. I don't know about you, but I remember the season when I, when I felt like, man, there's some godliness here that wasn't here before. I remember just feeling like every day is a fight, every day is a battle, every day is like blood, sweat, and tears, and I don't want to endure, but I have to endure. And I just remember being in a season where I woke up and I'm like, hey, I actually want to read. I actually want to pray. I actually want to give. I want to go to church. I want to sing. And you're like, where did this come from? Man, you've been in the faith factory. (laughs) The owner and the designer, he knew you'd get to station number five if you would just endure. And now all of a sudden you're like, I'm winning the battle. We haven't arrived yet. None of us have arrived, but we can for sure tell that something's different. We didn't have this before and now we have it. We felt like we were fighting against sin and doing this battle all by ourselves, and now all of a sudden there's godliness within us. Like virtue, God takes over here with godliness, and he begins to give us something that many of us thought we would never actually have. If we're honest, many of us thought that it was going to be a fight forever, and it was going to be based on our own strength. And that we would never change our actual desires. So when Jesus rose from the dead and he revealed himself to his disciples, look at what he gave them. This is John chapter 20, verse 22. 
And we're bringing this down to a close, guys. We're almost done. John chapter 20, verse 22. Jesus is there with his disciples. He's risen from the dead. He meets them in this upper room and he reveals himself. And he says in verse 22, he, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What did he give them? He gave them godliness. Right? He says, listen, I am God. There's God the Father. There's God the Holy Spirit. We are one. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. I am in the Spirit. The Spirit is in me. So when he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, what I want to give to you now is godliness, the actual Spirit of God, not outside walking with you, holding your hand and dying for you, but to be breathed into your actual life and to be inside of you, almost as if you were in a factory and something was being added for your faith. The great thing as we read through the Gospels and the Scriptures, we see that this was going to be an ongoing process of more godliness and more Spirit of God being added to their lives. A few days later, Jesus was here for 40 days after his resurrection. He's about to ascend, right? And listen to what he tells his, his disciples then. He's already breathed the Spirit on them and into them. In Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus says, Behold, he's talking to the same disciples. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait here in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He says, listen, you got a little bit of that spirit. You got a little bit of that godliness. I breathed it upon you. Right. He says, but just wait. I'm about to go up to the father and we're going to send the spirit in a new way, in a different way, in an exciting way. You're going to be meeting in an upper room. He doesn't tell him all that. And then the spirit's going to come like a rushing wind and you're going to have more godliness than you even do now. The story is the same for us. As we endure and as we stay in the factory, we find more and more godliness and more and more of the Spirit of God being added to our lives and activated within our lives. We end up with a greater and greater desire to live according to righteousness rather than sinfulness. Don't take my word for it. There are many Christians who have been in the factory for quite some time and they will all testify that there is this ongoing filling and greater measure of the Spirit of God and the work of God and will of God that comes into our lives. What an amazing factory this faith factory really is. So now let's look at God. He says, once you get to this point, you're ready to actually see other people. <laughs> and you're ready to see them in a way that you've never really been able to see them before. Even if you think you have, you haven't. <laughs> You've got virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. And now he says, now it's time for brotherly kindness. And we wonder why we struggle with people. We wonder why we can't get along. We wonder why even the people we like, we still are frustrated with. <laughs> Maybe we're not letting the work of God in the factory do what he says it's supposed to do. He says, now we can add to our faith a care for the lost care for the broken and the struggling and the hurting. And he says we can also add this joy for those who are blessed and those who are strong and those who are faithful. We can get this brotherly kindness for the hurting and the lost and for the strong and the faithful. And it can be real in our lives. We can begin to look at the sinful as just like us. And we can have empathy and sympathize with them because we know that we've been there as well. We begin to look at people and say, man, all they need, all they need is to get into the factory. 
That's all they need. They're not, they're not so far gone that they're out of the reach of God. I got to tell them about the factory that God has designed for them. I've got to tell them how to, how to let God pour virtue into their life and give them their value back. And I've got to help them get into the word of God. Brotherly love, brotherly kindness. We can begin to see our brothers and sisters in Christ as little faith factories. We begin to look at them and say, man, they, they deserve to be blessed. They deserve to be encouraged and they deserve to be helped. When you look around the church, do you see little faith factories? Or are we judgmental with one another? Why aren't we looking and saying, man, maybe they're at a different stage than I'm at. Maybe I'm not even at the stage I think I'm at. Man, I'm just so grateful to God that we're all doing this faith factory thing together. And I trust God. I'm going to ask in faith and believing that he would help my brothers and sisters with the work he's doing in their faith factory. If we go through these stages, we will get to this brotherly kindness stage and be capable of actually doing that. And if we can be honest today and say that we're not there, man, let's look at our factories. Let's see what's not calibrated properly. Let's see what's missing. Let's see what stages we jumped over. So finally, as we close, God says, once you've gone through each of these areas of the faith factory and you come to this last station, he says, then what you get to add to your faith is love. See, we like to think that if we love well, we don't need to read, we don't need to fight, we don't need to persevere, right? If we just love well, right? Love conquers all. I can be a hellion and do nothing that God says, but man, my heart is so big. I love everybody. It's going to work out. Wrong. God says, nope. That ain't the kind of love I'm talking about. That's not the kind of love that I pour into a life in my faith factory. That's some pseudo love that you've learned somewhere else. And those feelings that come along with that, they're not coming from me. They're coming from the enemy. It's lust, right? Disguised as love. We don't even, we don't even need to love everybody. We say, as long as I love mine well, right? If I'm good to my family, if I'm good to my friends, if I love them well, I'm all good. Not true. Not true. See, the love of God is the crowning moment in the faith factory. And it's beyond all other types of love that we know. I remember, and it probably wasn't the wisest thing to do, but I remember talking to a mother and telling her about how she doesn't really love her son uh, early on in my ministry. And she was irate. She was angry because if there's one thing she knew she did right in her life, it was loving her son. And again, like I said, it was early in my ministry and, I, and I, I definitely could have done that much better and communicated a lot more clearly. But what I was trying to explain to her is you're just coming to know who Jesus is. So it's impossible to love the way that we can love and are called to love without Jesus, which means you haven't really loved your son. The good news is she stayed in her own faith factory 
and she grew in the love of Christ and the knowledge of Christ. And I remember some years later her coming to me and saying, you know what, you were right. I love my son and I love others in a way now that I didn't even knew existed back then. God showed grace on me and God showed grace on her. The truth was the truth. Like I said, I could have said it a little bit better, but that's what God is talking about here in the faith factory. He says, this is the crowning. This is the last, the last station. I'm going to pour all this love and it's going to be the love of God coming into your life, right? The love is like an accelerant and it activates something new in every other ingredient, right? So just when you thought you had all the virtue and you thought you had all the knowledge, you thought you had all the self-control, all the perseverance, right? All the godliness and all the brotherly kindness. Then you get to this last station and love is poured into your life. And all these other stations, something's activated and they grow and they change and they do things that they were never doing before. And the product is finalized and you're like, oh Lord, I had no idea. It completes the process and it accelerates all these other areas of our life of faith. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, what does this mean? It means now that you're kind of at the end of the faith factory process, and you're going to have this love, Jesus says, what, what is love about? It's about laying your life down for your friends, right? So he's the faithful one. He has all the faith. And what was it to produce? What was the product? How was it going to be used? For good, he was going to lay down his life and die on a cross that others could receive forgiveness of sins. So what is the point of me being in the Vaughn Faith Factory? What is the point of you being in your faith factory? At the end, when the love is poured into you, God says to you and I, now you're ready to go outside of the factory and be used. With that jelly that comes off of the factory line, labeled, full, sealed tight, ready to be shipped, ends up in the store. I go into the store and I buy it. And I'm going to take it home and I'm going to actually use it. I'm going to pull out some toast. I'm going to butter it up first. And I'm going to put that strawberry jelly on it. And then I'm going to be like, ooh, this is so good and it's so nourishing. And I love strawberries. Thank God for the strawberry jam factory. God says that that's what I want to do with you. I need to use you. I need to put you out into the world. You got to bring nourishment. You got to bring joy. You got to bring hope. And you're going to have to actually lay down your life and be used up for the good of others. Why? Because the prototype did it that way. And that's the factory that he built. And that's the factory that you're in. If you're going for some other goal, you're not going to make it out of the factory. You're going to try to repurpose and it's not going to work. You're going to feel like and want to be a Christian, but it's going to be terribly underfulfilling. Because you're trying to figure out, why am I not getting what I want out of this whole Jesus thing? Because what I'm supposed to want is to lay down my life with the love of Christ for those who are lost that they could be found. We're intended to be used by God. He's the owner. He's the designer. He's the one that's making us faithful. And he deserves to use us as he sees fit. The faith factory. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for helping us to endure and to stay connected during this message. For painting a few pictures for us of what a faith factory might look like. 
Lord, for helping me and hopefully helping others to understand how important every station is within this factory, Lord. Helping us understand that you are a God of order, Lord. Even with, even with Noah, Lord, and you had him to, to build this ark, Lord, you gave him a blueprint and you were very specific about the dimensions. Lord, with your temple, when you had the Jews, the Hebrews, to, to build it, Lord, you were very specific about its dimensions and its court, its doors, its gates, its utensils, Lord. When it comes to faith and it comes to this faith factory, Lord, you're very specific about what you intend for us, what you desire for us, what you've made, what you're trying to make in us, the work that you've started and how you're going to bring it to completion, Lord God. Lord, we want to ask in faith that you would help us to stay the course, Lord. We need your wisdom. You say you'll give it to us liberally, Lord. Show us right now in this very moment what's not quite calibrated right, Lord. What stations have we been neglecting? Lord, give us peace to understand that we can go back to the beginning. You're going to get us where we need to go. We don't have to be in a hurry, Lord. You have all of eternity. Hallelujah, Lord. If you're there and you're listening and you're praying with us and you, uh, you know the truth is that you don't even have that, that virtue, that morality, that innocence, right? You don't have that purity anymore. You don't have that hope. You know it's gone. Maybe like me, you feel like it could never be restored. You could never go back and fix all the things that you've broken. You can never go back and claim from those that you sold it and you undervalued and you gave yourself to things and to people and to ideas. You can never go back and reclaim all those things from all those people. I want to tell you that there's hope. God knew that you and I would come to that place where we realized that and he said, I've made a way. <laughs> it's an amazing way. It's a miraculous way. Nobody would have thought of it, but I'm going to actually come into the world and through my love, through my death, I can restore unto you because I'm the one that gave it to you in the first place. I can restore unto you hope and life and virtue and value. It'll be just as if, that's what, that's what your uh, justification is. It'll be just as if you had never sinned and you never sold anything. You have all of your value. If that's you, I want to tell you that it's not me calling you to faith. It's not me asking you to choose Jesus. It's not me asking you to repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I want you. Help me. Forgive me. Give me my value. Give me virtue back. Give me hope. It's not me. It's God himself. If you feel anything in line with that right here, right now, it's God. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Speaking of God, it says, The Father who has qualified us, qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love 
in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. I tell you that it's not me that's giving you those feelings. I tell you that it's not me that's, that's inspiring you to say that maybe there is hope for me. It's God. And what he says is that he puts you on the conveyor. And right now in this moment, he is conveying you into the love of his son, Jesus. He's saying, if you just don't jump off the conveyor, if you just let me bring you into the love of my son, you can have forgiveness of sins. He says that he's already died for you. He's already shed his blood for you. All you have to do is just let me convey you under the feet of the cross. You see it ahead of you. You know that you're guilty. You know that if you, you were in a court of law right now and they showed all the details of your life, everything you've ever done, if there was a video playing of everything that you've ever thought, you'd be so guilty. He says, you can see the cross ahead of you. Let me convey you under that blood and I promise you, when you come outside, when you come out the other end and you've been washed by that blood, all that evidence is gone. All those sins are gone. They didn't magically disappear. The blood that washed you was shed because those sins were put upon my son. They were paid for by my son. You're not taking anything from him and receiving salvation. He's giving it to you. If that's you, I hope that you stay on that conveyor and you talk to God and you just say, Lord, if it's you who can really do this work, I'll sit here and I'll allow myself to be washed. I'll sit here and I'll endure the confusion and the pain. But you've got to do it. I can't do it on my own. I've tried so many things, so many times, so many different ways, and I always end up in the same place. So God, if this really is you, please give me my virtue back. I lost it when I was 10. I lost it when I was 12. I lost it when I was 15. I've sold every piece of it throughout the years of my life. God, if you can, here I am. It's all he's asking for you. And from you is just to say, here I am. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, if you're listening and you have already given your life to the Lord, but there's something in this message today that's ministered to you or helped you or challenged you, convicted you, encouraged you, whatever it might be, would you just take a moment? Pray about it, solidify it in your heart and in your head. Prepare yourself for communion. Our time of communion today... Um, I'm going to pray over you for your factory, for your faith factory. That as you receive the bread, as you receive the juice or the wine, whatever it is that you have, that you would have this picture in your mind of new wine. That you would have this picture in your mind of saying, Lord, you know what? Today I'm receiving communion and I'm saying, I'm going back into my factory I'm going to do some testing, Lord. Let's see how things are calibrated. Let's see how this faith tastes. Let's see 
if I've been focusing on every station within this faith factory, Lord. I'm not going in fear. I know you're not angry with me. You've shared this with me today because you love me and you want to help me, Lord. So I'm going to receive communion today in recognition and acknowledgement of what you've done for me and what you've provided for me and the work that you still want to do in my faith factory. Hallelujah, Lord. So Lord, I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I thank you for sharing with me about my faith factory, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing and saving people's lives right now. I thank you, Lord, that there were men and women in my life that went through that faith factory and then they went out into the world and they were willing to lay down their lives to love me and to tell me about you and to tell me I could have a factory of my own and tell me that I could be forgiven, Lord. I'm so thankful for them. I thank you for those that are finding that out for themselves right now in salvation. And I thank you for those of us who would say, Lord, we're ready to fight. <laughs> we're ready for some of that self-control. We're ready for some of that knowledge and getting into your word, Lord God. Mm. We're ready to persevere, Lord. We don't want us to spring up for a, for a moment or for a season, Lord. We want to endure. Oh, you're so good, Lord. Let us have communion with you, Lord. Let it not be just an act that we do we want it to be like uh when you revealed yourself to your disciples and you see and you breathed on him you said receive the holy spirit we want that experience right now in our homes and here when you told them to wait until that power comes lord and then it came like a rushing wind and they were filled with your spirit and your presence in a new way we want that right here right now lord have your way lord we love you we thank you in the name of Jesus, amen, amen, hallelujah. Receive your communion and you'll be blessed.
Thank you.